Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good morning and welcome to Zero Today. I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, and empowerment uh, and liberation. We are here to promote a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and it is our responsibility, obligation, our duty, our calling, our great love to do week after week to empower you, our listeners, to knowing, to understanding, and impacting the world around you. That's what we're here for. That's what we love to do week after week, and we thank you thank you for allowing us to be able to do so over the last five years, to be able to do so. And as always, you are welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. There are several ways you can do that. The primary way, if you want to get in dialogue, commentate, Pop and tate. Uh, I just made that word up. <laughs> if you want to get your thoughts, insights, uh, uh, commentary on the air live, you can do so by calling 237-237-347-237-5230. Apparently my glasses are not working this morning. <laughs> anyway, that's the number to call to get your thoughts, insights, uh, on the air. Also, the chat room is open, so you can go to Blog Talk Radio slash Zero Today and uh, get into the blog into the chat room, and you can share your thoughts there. Also, you go to our our Facebook page, Zero Network on Facebook. Like that page. Go to the Blog Talk Radio. Subscribe to the show. You catch archive shows, but you can also leave commentary there about the topics that we have, and we have a very interesting topic lined up. Uh, something that is very very uh, potent as we enter uh, another day of, of well, it's a day of calm so far in Boston, in Baltimore, not Boston, Baltimore regarding um, the riots, the aftermath of the death and funeral of Freddie Gray. 
Uh, so we'll talk about that, and we'll ask you the question, where's the church's prophetic, prophetic voice? Has that voice been lost? Is it lost? Or is it now being championed by fresher voices? We're going to be talking about that. So I'd love to hear your insight, your thoughts about that. And we're going to be calling on uh, voices from the past and connecting them with voices of the future to see if there is still a relevant prophetic voice in the black church. So love to hear you about uh for you to hear. I'd love to hear from you about that. All the way you can follow us on Twitter, be personally. My uh personal Twitter is at prophesy and on the show is uh at zero radio. So um we'll do that. I can't tweet I I was trying to tweet and and, and do the show. I've been trying to do that and I just hadn't gotten that. So you know, I'm believing <laughs> I'm believing for some help. You know, be able to tweet out while I do the show, be able to uh to be able to broadcast the show with video as well as audio. So we got a lot that we're planning to do. Um and we're just grateful that we've come this far. So we're not gonna go far. We got a lot of headlines too to get to uh over the next hour. Uh and the bottom of my hour we will get into our main subject. But we got a lot to talk to. So but before we get into any of all of that, uh, oh, yeah, I forgot. If you want to give me an email, my email is PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com. We're available. We're here. We're live. We're ready. Anything goes on live radio. <laughs> but keep it key. Keep it G-rated. No, just kidding. Just kidding. All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We bless you for another opportunity to be able to do the show. This is the day that you made. We rejoice and we're glad in it. Oh, God. Our help in ages past, let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you and to others. This is our prayer in our son's name. Amen. So there's been a lot of news headlines going on uh, this week. In addition to the national headlines, there's some things that I, I just thought were pretty interesting. Then I'm going to get in touch with you. Of course, I want to talk about the rebuttal or response, Craft of Dollar, to... Um, his haters, quote unquote. Uh, I I don't know what to say. I, I got I got that audio soundbite. We're gonna play and we're gonna talk about. But I want to talk about a couple other things. Um, if you've been paying attention, uh, Preachers of Detroit is I believe season has ended, and it shed a lot more. It, you know what I appreciated about the little that I did watch. I thought I thought I really appreciated the fact that this show, you know, wasn't centered on the preachers themselves, but the cast also the ensemble of the cast also included their family, uh, particularly with the children uh, that uh, uh, I can't think of the group, the little singing group, and then uh, all of the children, wives were they were uh, you know they they played significant roles, and I I I think that said a lot as far as. It still was drama infused, but at least you know it wasn't as much drama. Well, I don't know. I, I didn't watch. I think I only watched about four or five episodes of the whole thing, so I can't really comment. Uh, give full comment on it. But season did end. It had a lot of controversy, and um, I think part of that contributes to uh, some of the discourse that we see uh, and disconnection that we see uh, in in. In uh, today, in church today, but that's neither here nor there. But that season is ending, and they're planning for preachers of Atlanta 
I don't know how they're going to do. Are they going to rotate the show? They're going to go back to Preachers L.A., Detroit, or they're going to run them concurrently, have a, like the Bravo Network does with this wives, uh, housewives uh, franchise. I don't know. Hey, it's making money for all of them involved, so. Everybody's making money except for the, the members of the churches that these people are. <laughs> and the pastors are celebrities, so that's another different whole other talk for another day. So um last week was another interesting for Pastor Frank E. Ray, Memphis, Tennessee. Uh Pastor Ray has he himself is you know he he's he's had his whole little thing you know with his wife and mistress fighting um with his uh wife claiming that he tried to run her over in his bentley then with his wife uh, ex-wife i don't know if he's divorced from her or not claiming that um you know he had blocked her from his mansion and all this stuff anyway so um uh, just last week or a week before last, at his church in Memphis, Tennessee, well, another group of women got got the fighting in the middle of service in front of the choir loft. And, and according to the news reports, and there's several several outlets, you can go to All Christian News. I think it may have been reported on um, uh, the Old Black Church, and this is went viral on Facebook. I, that's how I got the initial initial. Um, Story and it's funny because I was like, okay, wait a minute, didn't this happen before already? Didn't this happen before? Is this deja vu? Is this uh, is this the old story from 2010 or 2011 where his wife and uh, ex-wife or mistress or whatever it was? But no, it was a new story. It's two separate ladies and they got in a fight. And according to the news story. Uh, police had to come and and break the women up. Both were treated for injuries. They got injured in a fight doing church service, where the anointing is supposed to be. Wow. I, you know, you can't make stuff like this up. Police had to come, interrupt the service, doing a fight, doing a uh, service. Why did they have to do that? I don't know. Why did they have to fight? I don't know. What I do know is that there was supposed to be an anointing there, you know. <laughs> the presence of God was supposed to be there. It also displayed it made made public the fact that there are still more carnal minded people in the church masquerading as sanctified people. There is no way a, a, a real Holy Ghost-filled, sanctified person would bring weapons to church, cause harm to another individual in the place where God's love is supposed to be displayed. There's no way. There's absolutely no way that that could happen, but yet it did. And I'm sure that did not interrupt the flow of service after I doubt if they stop service. You know, they I I'm I'm sure they stopped service temporarily, but I'm sure once that got under control they probably rolled on as usual with more talk. I can only imagine what the preacher preached about. 
Anyway, the two women uh, said it came to uh, the two women confronted. Here's here's what the story says. The two two women who originally began the scuffle were they gave them names. I'm not giving any names. Uh, But the argument began at an earlier church service, Wednesday night Bible study. Ain't that something? A Wednesday night Bible study, they got in an argument then. And uh, one woman says that she confronted the other woman about sleeping with somebody and told her to stop. And then she says that the other woman got in her face about it. Uh, And then it came to a head... Around one around one o'clock on Sunday during the service, I I I I just cannot fathom. And I've been in church services where the preacher has been called out. I've been in church services where So it begs the question, why was this allowed to happen? It begs the question, what's really going on at that church? Why is that so much carnality? Well, that's you know that's a different thing for another time. I don't think we really have sufficient time to even discuss that, but it is what it is. So y'all pray, pray for that church. Pray for Pastor Ray who will be here in Jackson, Mississippi, along with Brian, Prophet Brian Korn, uh, Pastor Benny Hinn, Pastor Jamal Bryant, Pastor Rod Parsley. They will be here for what's called the gathering uh, sometime in August. And the only reason I know is because I had to uh, sit down with Pastor with uh, Evangelist Bar, uh, Brian Korn and his ministry team, and they wanted to have something here. And so... Uh, I, along with several pastors, were invited to to sit. And when I saw some of the people he was bringing in, and Frank Ray being one, I questioned initially. But, you know, yeah, it is what it is. That's a whole different, whole different thing. Anyway, so, so uh, I'm, I'm going to move on to the story. This, the next story here, you know, we we heard about the. Oh, uh, we saw and we commented on the Creflo Dollar and you know the GoFundMe, whatever it was, the letter that got leaked, asking supporters to help him purchase a new plane that valued over sixty-five million dollars. And of course, uh, he it, it received a lot of backlash, and that backlash lasted for weeks, and so. Uh, Reverend Dollar finally got an opportunity to respond, and how better to respond than to take it to the waves, airways, and which he did. And uh, so here's this clip I want to play. It's about five, a little five minutes long, which Creflo Dollar uh, responds to his critics in a very unique way, as only Creflo Dollar can. So take a listen to this. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. I wouldn't say this except the Spirit of God let me to say it. Now you see why the devil tried so aggressively to discredit my voice. I'm on my sabbatical and the enemy is trying to discredit me. 
Heck, I found out this past week I was supposed to have been in jail <laughs> for stealing the tides. <laughs> and day four yesterday, they were transferring me from one county to the other one. <laughs> I sure wish somebody would have told me. <laughs> found out my real name is not Creflo Dollar. <laughs> you know what it is? It's Michael Smith. <laughs> can ever get in the dome unless you show your W-2 form. What you say? Are you listening to what I'm saying? The enemy has got to discredit the voices of faith and grace and truth because he don't want you to know that you can walk on the water if you can look at Jesus. I got to discredit that man before he starts showing people Jesus. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, if you think it was something for me to believe God, and let me tell you something about me believing God. I can dream as long as I want to. I can believe God as long as I want to. If I want to believe God for a $65 million plane, you cannot stop me. You cannot stop me from dreaming. You can't stop me from dreaming. I'm going to dream until Jesus comes. And here's another I want you to understand that if they discover life on Mars, if you think a $65 million plane was too much, if they discover that there's life on Mars, they're going to need to hear the gospel, and I'm going to have to believe God for a billion-dollar space shuttle because we got to preach the gospel on Mars. I dare you to tell me I can't dream. I dare you to tell me that I can't believe God. If I find Jesus, I'm going to look at Jesus until it comes to pass. Because with God, all things are possible to him that believes. And so I say to you, dream on, baby. Dream on. Don't dream about what you can have. Dream about what the devil said you can't have. Dream for the best. Dream for the best healing. Dream for the best deliverance. Dream for the best house. Dream for the best car. Just because the world don't have it don't mean you can't have it. You are the children of the almighty God. All right. Now, there are a number of things that I could say about this. And and I posted on my Facebook page, and I just said one thing, probably the most truthful thing that I, 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 I got from it is that you can't stop him from dreaming. You know, he... <laughs> you know, if he got, if he wants to believe God, he can believe God. There's nothing you can do about that. Anyone can do about that. Um, it has nothing to do with theology. It has nothing to do with scripture. You know, uh, all about the ability for him to do so. Uh, but my problem is not so much of the fact that he that he said what he said. It's, it's the, and I'm trying to say this in a very courteous manner. 
What upsets me is the fact that he says that the devil is trying to silence his voice. And I preface this uh by saying not his not his uh <laughs> not his prophetic voice as as one who um speaks against the evil of the world or the devil. That's that's not his that's not the voice that's being trying to be silenced. What's trying to be silenced is his voice of faith that says people should be able to get material things. And in in some circles that may be that may be widely acceptable. You know you can't. Well, I, you can't argue. You can argue that while it may be inscriptural, the premise in and of itself is is not scripturally based or sound. But the problem that I have with him saying that the devil was trying to silence his voice is that similar to what the prophet Elijah, after he after he had gone against the prophets of Baal, and according to the narrative, Jezebel issued this declaration against him that he'd be dead just like they were. And he ran off and hid and got afraid. And thought he was said I he he said to himself you know said Lord you know she trying to kill me and my voice is the only voice left and God had to rebuke him and say no you're not the only voice left there are others that I have raised up just like you with your voice power with your authority with all of that so you're not the lone voice and and this is the challenge we have to present to to uh, Dollar and others like him you're not the lone voice. You know, the gospel has been been going forward for centuries, you know, at least 2,000 years. And it didn't start with you and it won't end with you. If something were to happen to your ministry today, if and, and I talked about this before, you know, if God forbid, just like the voice of, of um, Dr. Uh, Miles Monroe, his voice hasn't been silenced. His death caused his natural voice to be silent, but the voice is still perpetuated through his legacy, his books, his teachings, his videos. So his voice has not been silenced. So that statement in and of itself is a fallacy. And the other thing about that is that it it uh, an idea of not just uh, narcissism, but an overwhelming sense of um, entitlement to this, and these people, the way they responded, they're they're not questioning, they're not challenging, and the whole thing about Christ's ministry, he questioned, he challenged the authorities when they, you know, when they were presenting things that were contrary to what he knew he was called to do, and in today's, in today's society, with all this. With all the outlets that are available, yes, Creflo Dollar's outlet is greater than some, but his is not the only outlet. God is not the, he is not the only voice. And him not having a $65 million plane is not hampering his ministry one bit. He still has thousands of supporters who will be more than willing. And he later went on and talked about a man in the Middle East who claimed that, um, that because he knew that Creflo was called and 
he was needed in that in that region that he sent him a check because he wanted him to have a plane. And of course my response today was like, you know, I, I planted a church in Pakistan. I uh the ministers there, the clergy there, the people there, when I minister to them, when I interact with them, they're excited about the work not of Pastor Lorenzo Neal. They're excited about the work of God because they're being called out of darkness into light. They're coming out of they're being converted from uh from Islam. They're leaving their families under the fear of death, knowing that just a confession, even though some of them are in this protected province where Christians are, are able to live, the Christian province of Punjab, there's still a lot of their, their families who are Muslim. And last week we baptized uh, 15, uh, not we, but the church there, the pastor there, and the leadership there baptized 15 people. This this uh, in the upcoming weeks we uh, we're scheduled to baptize at least another twenty five. You know we have a defined places for to assemble for the people who are hungry and thirsty for the knowledge of God, not for things. They're literally hearing the gospel message preached, some for the very first time. So it is what it is. I gotta take a quick break. We're going to be right back. I'm going to play this song that's going to kind of last through the break. And we'll be back after this. There's nothing as soothing as having a sweet aroma penetrate all of your senses. Peacock, the newest candle fragrance by Heatcentric, is that aroma. Peacock is a vegan hand-poured candle that fills the room with a soothing aroma that everyone is guaranteed to enjoy. 
Peacock by Hecentric is the fragrance developed by Lady Jocelyn Sanders that's designed to reflect the glory in everyday life. I guarantee you will not disappoint it when you order your candle today from Hecentric. I have one at home and in my office, and I tell you, it's so good. It helps me relax at home, and it helps me concentrate and stay on task in the office. You need to order yours today by visiting LadySanders.com. And while they also pick up a copy of her book, The Encounter, I'm telling you, you will love both. Peacock by Hecentric, reflecting the glory in everyday life. Those of you who've listened to my show uh, realize that uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, my computer crashed on me, and I had lost just, I thought I lost just about everything on my computer, all my important files and documents. But then I remembered that I had security. I had my files backed up automatically by Carbonite.com. Now, here's the good thing about Carbonite.com. They have the same encrypted technology that is used uh, for security, uh, e-commerce, transactions, all that stuff. They got it, right? And then they house it in state-of-art data centers that's guarded 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I wasn't worried because I knew my files were automatically backed up. And here's the good thing. I, I didn't have to worry about retrieving them either because I could access my files from any computer anywhere in the world. So if, if, if you, you feel like you're going to lose your stuff, I recommend Carbonite.com because that's the place to go. You don't have to worry about the cost either because they have a price for every budget you can imagine. Not only that, but if you go to their site today, you could get a 15-day free trial right now if you go in today. That's Carbonite.com for all your online backing needs. All they do is back up your files online. They don't do anything else. You can be guaranteed that all of your important documents, everything that you love on your computer will be safe and secure. Check them out today at Carbonite.com for your online backup. Today, we stand against the tyranny of single-mile credit cards. Battle speech, right? May I? For too long, people have settled for single miles. With the Capital One Venture Card, you'll earn double miles on every purchase every day. Hawaii, here we come. So sign up today for a venture card at CapitalOne.com. And start earning double! What's in your wallet? Can you play games on that? Not on the runway. I wasn't born to push papers. I was born to push myself. To go where I'm needed. To keep this country safe. I was born with the backbone and brain power to take on any mission. This is my office. I was born ready. GoCoastGuard.com Welcome back to Zero Today with your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, as we said it before, there was a lot of stuff I wanted to say more about that audio clip from Creflo Dollar. I just left it as it is. Uh, it's going to make the rounds. 
and I'm sure plenty enough has been uh, postulated about it. So, I, you know, I said what I said. I'm sticking to that. Um, the Lord be with him and his ministry and others who are aspiring to do as he is, as he has, or what they believe God called him. That's 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 it. Anyway, let's get into the segment that I want to talk about. Uh, the segment that is uh, the driving point of the show for today. Why the rage? The Baltimore riots and the loss of the black prophetic voice. Now, if you recall last week, we did the show uh, about the prophetic voice of the public intellectual, that of Dr. Cornell, uh, Cornell West and uh, Dr. Michael Eric Dyson, and 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 that very very public uh, scrutiny of Dr. West by way of Dr. Uh, Dyson and the diss. Because it was a diss indeed, unto his uh, what he considered Doctor Doctor West uh, loss of his prophetic voice in his commentary regarding President Obama, and and this kind of like this is sort of what somewhat of a follow up to that, because now what we're seeing in the aftermath of the death of Freddie Gray who died while in police custody in uh, the city of Baltimore. He was eulogized this past Monday by uh, Dr. Jamal Bryant. And uh, we're going to talk about Dr. Jamal Bryant, uh, who is becoming somewhat of this voice. Uh, we saw him in Ferguson. We saw him in in Florida. We've seen him in Oakland, uh, and he's somewhat become, he's becoming more visible. Some are calling him an opportunist. Some are calling him a new prophetic voice. Some are calling him uh, just a pastor who has aspirations but has not fully channeled them yet. Some are calling him, you know, there, there are different things. I know him as brother pastor. He's a friend, friend and brother beloved, fellow pastor, a fellow itinerant elder in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. He doesn't always own it, <laughs> but he's reflecting it. And um, and so, just like what happened after the death of Michael Brown, after, well, not quite after the death of Trevon Martin, but definitely after the death of Michael Brown and the like the lack of an indictment against um uh, the officer who who murdered him we find even though there has been no grand jury even though there has been no uh there's the report by the, the internal report from the Baltimore City Police is still ongoing there were riots after the funeral what started off as peaceful protests by the time it got to a particular block in the city of Baltimore turned into violence. And we saw the images of young black men, young black women taken to the streets, some throwing stones, rocks, other objects at police. Several, at least several police were injured. Um, then there's this one very moving scene that has gone viral of this mother 
seeing her son, her only son, participating in the rioting and the looting. And she goes to him and all but manhandles him in public. You know, takes away his gangster card, all to his shame, but to his safety. And she expresses that. And I tried to get download the video of her saying why she took action. And she's saying that it wasn't so much as her trying to scold, but it's her fear that this was her only son. And to think that if police action had gotten, if that if the rioting had taken a violent turn, he could have been gone. Now, uh, um, most people forget that there were riots in Baltimore in 1968, the day after, well, a day and a half after Dr. King was killed on April 6, 1968. There was a riot, and those riots, those rioters destroyed, and they did a lot of damage. But it was quickly soothed, just like it's today. Uh, last night, the curfew was enforced, and uh, it seemed to be somewhat of a peaceful atmosphere. The children are back in school. The city seems to have uh, relinquished this idea of chaos. Hundreds of people were arrested. Um, but yet and still, the question looms is not so much why they are rioting. Uh, and, and there's been this juxtaposition, uh, commentary on rioting. Uh, lately, if you if you follow through social media, um, uh, the Young Turks did a show and juxtapos- juxtaposing the black riot, you know, riots in communities where African Americans are prominent or have a prominent, a predomin- uh, predominant presence versus rioting. By white folk, <laughs> uh, uh, fair-skinned <laughs> people over frivolous things such as a pumpkin festival, the winning of a sports event, and things of that nature. And they, uh, just recently, Huntington Beach surfers decided to riot, and that never made the news. And so the voices of the community have come out saying we need to stop. Even they paraded the family of Freddie Gray saying this violence, this this needs to stop, it's nonsense, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. As if to say that blacks were the only ones who ever reacted like this. And to, to put this in context, we are the ones who react to this not because of, we we react out of this angst. We react to angst. This is a response to 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 leak our frustration for a vast majority. And it it happened in the sixties with the young people and it's happening now with the young people. The same age group, the same type of angst being expressed is the same way. Whereas in the fair skinned community, they do it for fun. <laughs> you know, I, I I saw several of the videos and things of that nature and and there was no one calling on the leadership of those communities to keep their people in check. There was no one uh, calling on their community saying that, you know, uh, you know, or ascribing to this particular group the same, saying that, all you know, or similar attributes that, you know, these white boys or fat boys or girls or they're acting this way because they, they are feeling a sense of oppression. 
No, it's driven by alcohol and things of that nature. Yet, the double standard is these young people are reacting, really reacting from a sense of oppression, a sense of idleness, not individually but collectively. And there are several who have pointed out, uh, as Reverend Jesse Jackson pointed out, uh, he said that part of it, uh, part of the reason for the riots was because of jobs. There, you know, Baltimore and the outsourcing of jobs. Others, uh, and, and matter of fact, one I think the Baltimore Orioles manager or someone CEO, COO or somebody in that organization stated something similar. Um, but you find, and I have found this in the plight of African American communities. It doesn't matter where you go. And I've been into rural African-American communities, and I've been into uh, metropolitan African-American communities. And there's a similarity there that just runs rapid. If you find Martin Luther King Jr. Drive, you're going to find that you're more than likely in an African-American community that is uh, oppressed. And the oppression runs not because uh, they want to be there, but nine times ten is there because it was created. It was created. And there are those who are conservatives like myself who are saying that it was created by liberal policies that, you know, to look at the leadership of these cities where this was happening. And you have, you'll find that the leadership is all Democrats and the liberal and progressive agenda is is what is the cause of that. That I'm sure there's some truth to that. And then on the other side, you find those who are progressives who are saying that is a result of Reaganomics, you know, the conservative agenda to drive out, to uh, to take away the undergirding of social programs, you know, the very things that uh, Republicans want to go on the chopping block that almost shut the government down, you know, the I, this idea of um, – um, these people think that they are entitled to entitlement programs, and there may be some truth in that. But I believe, and this is just me, this is just me. I believe the underlying, the underlying tension rests not in either social programs, conservative or progressive ideologies or programs or policies, while they may have their uh, their 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 independence in that I believe it is because of a loss of the prophetic voice in the black church. I say that, and I say this as as um as I read through various. I, I've I've been in the last couple of days I've been reading through a lot of of, of literature and books that that deal with this idea. Of a lost voice, um, and I, I was writing on it, and as I started on my blog this morning, <laughs> I was writing, and I got in, so I got in two good paragraphs, and somehow it wiped out everything that I had written, and I couldn't retrieve it. I was like, "Oh my God!" Because I didn't do it in Word; I was doing it directly to the blog. I usually do it on Word, you know, do it on, on um, and do the draft, and you know, make the corrections and whatever. And so now I have to go back and try to figure out what I was writing. But um, 
here here's here's my synopsis of this. Okay. You have a populace that has been a part of a foreign community for the last now 400 years. They came as oppressed people. And they were suppressed. Their voice was suppressed. Their 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 religion was suppressed. Even their identity was suppressed. Suppressed, not oppressed, suppressed. Changed to reflect what somebody else wanted them to be. My argument is that is still present today. And the only thing that challenged that was the black church. The black church was the only marginalized community that gave a voice to a marginalized community. I say that again. The black church was the only marginalized community that gave a voice to a marginalized or to the marginalized community. You think about slavery. Some There were some masters, both in the north and in the south, that did not want those who they owned to even learn to read the Bible. They allowed them to gather for worship experiences under a very watchful eye, keen ears, to hear those slaves preaching. And they really weren't preaching. They were telling the story by revelation. Somehow they heard the story. And that got translated into our preaching, black preaching experience today because we still use, I heard the Bible say. You know, and I and I say this quite frequently in my church, you know, black preachers, we, we it wasn't so much of us getting the story as as much, I mean, getting the theology as it was for us conveying the story. We use the story of the Exodus as a means of empowering people who were in change to know that they could be free. And it caused some to do revolutions and uprisings. It caused others to get bold enough to escape. It caused one in the person to Harry Tubman not only to escape, but to keep going back and help others to escape. It created a sense of community when masters and laws were not allowing them to to be wed and uh, you know married legally, the church, those voices, that prophetic that prophetic entity, recognizes them, affirms them as a family, and later as we begin to adopt greater tr- Christian traditions, we we kind of, and I, and I say this, as we matriculated within the ranks of Christendom as a black church. And this goes from every black church uh communion, be it at the apostolic, the Church of God in Christ, the African Methodist Episcopal, the the Baptist and the refrains within such. Um as we matriculated within the range of Christendom and got more acclimated to um Christian orthodoxy, we in turn lost that voice. 
we lost that voice. We became educated. We became distinguished clergy. Our fellowships, particularly if you pay attention, particularly within the last 30 years or so, those black traditions that were, you know, kind of typecast have now become uh, more acclimated in mainstream evangelical Christian. So now white folk are trying to imitate the black Pentecostals. And those of us who are part of mainline Protestant denominations are also embracing this idea of Pentecostalism, things of that nature. And on the flip side, you have the Pentecostals uh, acclimated to a more refined identity. So it's less shouting, less uh, spontaneous worship, and more liturgical oriented experiences, you know, more refined liturgies, more refined orders of worship. So they could, you know, they now, even their buildings reflect such, you know. I I went to a church, Pentecostal church, and, well, it was a it was a cozy church, but I went to a cozy church and I and I saw the elegant stained glass that they had, and they had uh, it actually had the stations of the Christ um, along the. You know, if you went to a Catholic church, you you understand the you know stations of the cross. It has that in as part of its as part of its um, the story. It is in the stained glass, and I was just fascinated by that. I was like, wow. You know, so that type of acclamation has cost the prophetic voice of the church. And the other thing is, the prophetic voice of the church came about because of repression. The reason black preachers spoke as the way spoke the way they spoke to the authorities that were that be was because of the sense of oppression. The black church provided an outlet against that oppression. That's why they stayed in church all the time. That's why they had seven and eight services in a week. Because it was a means of escape to hear what they were hearing from the voice of God. And because of such, because of such, they were able to engage their world in the marketplace, in the education sphere, in the political arena. They were able to engage their world. Now, those voices are no longer needed to needed for validation. You don't need the preacher as a voice a validation, a prophetic voice. Because now all you need is your credentials. Go to the right school, have the right endorsements, and that is sufficient for you to gain a voice in the in those spheres, the education sphere, political sphere. And the black church becomes nothing more than a stepping stone. Nothing more than a uh, stop in this this process. And the black preacher, nothing more than a figurehead for something 
you know, something else or someone else. There's there's a couple of books I really think you ought to rec- you ought to read. One, of course, uh, is Godly Oppressed by James Cone. Uh, probably one of the premier books in Black Liberation theology that uh, that says that God is not only one who hears, but He's one who is on the side of those who consider to be oppressed. As Jesus said, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to go and set the captives, set at liberty those who." Are the captives free, said liberty those who have been bruised, to give sight to the blind, etc. Said I may not, I'm, you know, I'm not quoting that directly, but you've heard it enough, you should know it. And he gives voice to those, he gives voice to those, and he sides with them, and he empowers them to be liberated, both through him and through themselves, to causes greater than themselves. Then the other book is uh, by his brother Cecil. Cone and um, Cecil Cone, I really have, this, I really like this book. Uh, talks about the identity crisis in black theology and um, the role of black theology in the contemporary black experience. See, black, and, and for those of you who say there is no black church, there is no white church, there's one church, you know. I, 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 I admire that, and I really do. I'm on board with it. But the reality is that they those are birthed out of two different traditions, two different experiences. When we talk about the black church and the white church, the white church is born out of this idea not of oppression, not of, not, not, you know, not even for free, freedom. You know, it, the white church overall was born to oppress it was created to oppress to manipulate to control you know beginning with the uh as the roman catholic church in the 3rd century on the constantine on 4th century on the emperor constantine collectively became secularized because it was secularized then when constantine called together the council of nicaea and they agreed in different things you know, they got the canon together. They got the essence of what we express by way of what we call the Apostles' Creed. And they got all this, you know, they, they pointed out, they detected, dictated who are the heretics. They denied the Gnostics and all of this stuff. It was all It was all about power and control. And it has maintained that for centuries. And that began to unravel it only in the 20th century. When the church's power and stronghold over individuals and collectively, a collective group began to disravel, you begin to hear this this voice of liberation. First, beginning with Black Liberation, and the persons James Cone, uh, Henry Evans, and many others. Uh, of course, Dr. Jeremiah Wright, many others. And secondly, in the tone of the Latin Liberation Movement, the uh, Liberation Movement in Central America, from which from which uh, our current pope is birthed. So you have that, and you have many other things that goes around. Let me take a quick break, because i got some folk in here that need to fix my phones. So I'm going to take a quick break, and I'll be right back. Hey, what are you doing today? I'm backing up the computer. Photos, work files, you name it. Lovely. See you in a few hours. 
you get everything backed up? Took care of it. For just $59.99 a year, Carbonite backs up your irreplaceable files automatically so you don't have to. Try it for free at Carbonite.com. You've heard the saying, clothes make the man. Used to be that way with suits. Wear one and you'd start to think like one. Wall Street before Main Street, profit before people. Well, that's changing. I mean, look around. You see a lot more guys wearing the suits. They're not thinking like suits. What it comes down to is this. Today, you don't have to be one to wear one. You're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. I need you. I feel so alone. But you're not alone. I knew you'd come. Like I could stay away. You know I can't do this without you. You'll never have to. You're always there for me. I'll get you a rental car. Don't use an umbrella. Fall in love with Progressive Claim Service. It's our favorite, yours and mine, because we found it together on a walk, 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 love to walk, a long walk, a a walk with you, a walk I smelled squirrels on, but I stayed by your side because I could tell, could feel that you had a bad day and me being bad wouldn't make it any better. But being there was already helping a little anyway, and then... We found that wonderful thing waiting there, waiting for you and me. And you smiled and threw it. And I decided right when I picked it up, I would never, ever leave it anywhere, ever. Because that wonderful, bouncy, roll-around thing had made you play. And that had made you smile. Put more play in your day. When we made our commitment to the Gulf, BP had two big goals. Help the Gulf recover and learn from what happened so we could be a better, safer energy company. I've been with BP for 24 years. I was part of the team that helped deliver on our commitments to the Gulf. And I can tell you, safety is at the heart of everything we do. We've added cutting-edge safety equipment and technology, like a new deep water well cap and a state-of-the-art monitoring center where experts watch over all our drilling activity 24-7. And we're sharing what we've learned so we can all produce energy more safely. Safety is a vital part of BP's commitment to America and to the nearly 250,000 people who work with us here. We invest more in the U.S. than anywhere else in the world. Over $55 billion here in the last five years, making BP America's largest energy investor. Our commitment has never been stronger. something that's slow that you wish was fast? A turtle. Really? A turtle? Yeah. And what about you? I'd rather be a slow turtle. Well, mm. I know why. Because when you're slower, you won't have to get in the street as fast and get ran over. But if you're a slow turtle and you're in the middle of the street, what happens? Austin? Exactly. It's not complicated. Faster is better. And AT&T is the nation's fastest 4G LTE network.
right, welcome back. Zero of the day. I'm your host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal. And, you know, got a lot going on. We got technicians here uh, checking on our phone services. So I'm probably going to have to wrap this up in a little bit <laughs> so they can find out what the problem is because, you know, as I said, been getting back, uh, getting a lot of problems technology-wise. So I, I, I'm I'm going to try to figure up, finish up this segment, and we'll have to close out the show. But anyway, as I was saying, um, I was recommending books, and I, I gave you both the the cones, Cecil and Wayne, Cecil Cone and uh, James Cone, their books. Uh, another book, probably for the younger mind, the younger uh, those who are young scholars. Anthony Bradley has a book that's called um, "Keep Your Head Up" in his collection. Uh, that is edited book with various writings and essays from various authors, but there, there's um, uh, it talks about the Christian social leaders, and 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 in the consciousness, and I, I want to get into it, but, but I really do want to get into this. Um, the young people, both both in Ferguson and in Baltimore, are looking for. A new voice, someone who can speak for us. Who will speak for us is the cry. Who will stand up for us? Who will go before us? Who will do all of this for us? That's what they're asking. And as I say before, uh, one person that is emerging as that type of leader is Dr. Uh, Jamal Bryant, my dear friend, my brother, my brother beloved. Um, and some people are saying, well, yeah. He may be good, but what about his past? And of course, you know he's had a very, very public past, and you can't get around to that. You can't. That's one thing he won't be able to hide from. But the question is, is his voice relevant? Not just his presence, because again, some perceive him to be maybe just another opportunist, and because of his age, because of his char- charisma, and of this, he, uh, it's affording him this opportunity to be in front of the cameras. You know, to be at these various movements, to be at the, in the right places, to speak to the right people in social media and the media period. Uh, so, you know, does that discredit the validity of his presence? I, I don't think so. Matter of fact, I think it actually re-enhances the idea that there needs to be a presence until the voice is is sound. There needs to be a presence. We lost our presence and our voice. When I say the black prophetic presence, black prophetic voice, a lot of people, were, uh, uh, the prophetic voice in the black church, a lot of people are saying, you know, yeah, we have prophets. Of course, there are plenty. There are plenty of preachers putting on that title: prophet, prophetess, apostle, apostolic bishop. And no, no offense to those who are uh, oversee all kinds of titles, but the titles are being relegated to manipulating people in some cases, or gaining, you know, selfish gain in others. It's not speaking to the ultimate concern of the people. And I follow Paul Tillich on this, just like James Cone did in his book. Um, the ultimate concern, faith is the object of, is that which is ultimate concerns you, as Paul Tillich states. Um, and right now, what is ultimately concerning these young black men and women is the fact that they are not only being profiled, 
but they are being systemically uh, placed in conditions that are not affording them as much and as a greater opportunity as some. And yes, there's opportunities. We read about the good stories of people, uh, you know, like the young lady who got accepted to uh, many, many uh, Ivory school colleges, Ivory League colleges. Um, we hear about the stories of the young, uh, the the young lady who was a teenager, the teenager who got both a high school degree and high school diploma and college degree at the same time. So there are stories are there. Positive stories, the opportunities are there, um, but yet the plight that most of them, most people in the urban communities face, is this idea that it does not exist, and the churches and the communities that surround the churches do not are not getting this impact that the churches have said to be having. There was one um, one uh, video showing a pastor. On the rioting, where one facility, one of the facilities that his church owns, uh, or part of his building, was destroyed by fire, and that church, that that not the church, but that building contained management facilities for their nonprofit arm, their community development arm, and to see that go up in flame was very distraught for him, you know, and as 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 it should be. There are churches that are doing things. Uh, one thing I appreciate here in the city of Jackson is that we have pastors who aren't afraid to be a part of voices, of uh, to be a voice against injustice. Uh, we have pastors for the reform, uh, again, uh, for prison reform, which I'm a part of. We have pastors who are uh, a coalition of pastors who are making voices and making strides in the area of community activism against violence. We have pastors. Matter of fact, our mayor is a pastor. And while he was he was a city councilman, Pastor Tony Yarber, Mayor Tony Yarber, while he was a councilman, he was engaged in the community. You know, he did that. Now, you know, there are those who will be retractors, detractors against any administration when there are policies that they think they uh, they don't agree with, um, but at least there's the engagement. But in a lot of the cities, particularly when you saw things like that in Ferguson and what you saw, what you're seeing in Baltimore, there are not enough voices there engaging. And Dr. Dr. Bryant, while he's good doing a wonderful job, uh, part of his voice has been dampened. And hampered, of course, by his past and his affiliations with T.D. Jakes and uh, Prosperity Preach Pentecost. I don't know. You know, it's been hampered. And, of course, again, by uh, the the trauma of his past, his divorce and things of that nature. Uh, and, of course, most recently his statement that went viral to him as he preached in part of his sermon. But the whole of the matter is his presence is there. And there's a trusting factor that young people are connecting with with his presence. And there are older who are saying, there are older persons in the community and pastors who are saying that his voice is needed. I can't say what God is going to do for Dr. Bryant. I, I you know, and I'm not trying to play antagonist or protagonist. I'm just stating a fact of as to what he is doing now. Uh, and I believe there are many other pastors engaged that are not being recognized that should be. But that is neither here nor there. 
I'm just speaking of the one who's taken the more prominent role uh, in the last several incidents. And that just happens to be uh, Jamal Bryant. But there are other voices. There, um, there, There's a need for this relevancy. Uh, not just to control the rhetoric that comes forth from it, but to maintain the the uh, or to maintain the authority that it comes from. It comes from the Lord, and the authority that it comes from must be configured in the voice that it comes from, and and that's what's needed. So I. Oh, well, let me go ahead and end this out. Listen, I really appreciate this. Next week, we got a very special guest that's going to be with us, uh, Magus uh, Richard uh, Bullard, wonderful, dear man of God, who has ascribed, has 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 ascended into a great, uh, deep spirituality that he's going to share with us, and I think it's going to be powerful and transforming for it. But I got to go. So we're going to get off this air and let these guys do what they got to do. And we'll be back next week with our guest, Richard Bullard, uh, Magus Richard Bullard, as he talks about the the higher streams of Christian thought. Well, not just thought, but of spirituality. And I I know you're going to enjoy that. Uh, as, as always, you can catch any archived show. Any archived show, uh, iTunes, you can download them on iTunes. Go to um, you can go to Zero Today website, uh, blogtalkradio.com slash Zero Today. Catch you in the archive show there. You can also um, see on the re- uh, visit the Facebook page and get all the archive shows there also. And visit my my page, LorenzoTDO.com, and uh, check out the latest stories. Uh, Invite you to pre-order the fifth anniversary edition of my book, A Breach in the Family, and get your uh, pre-order copy today. We'll make sure you get it out. However you can support us, we appreciate every bit of support that you give financially, prayerfully, and as listeners. We appreciate it, and we just thank you for it. But until next week, uh, this is Pastor Lorenzo Neal. we got to get out of here. The week bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. Until the next time. <laughs>